0: So she said, hey, you got to write something. Try to put yourself back there and remember who was that person and what was that moment about, you know. So I said, okay, Little Plastic Castle. Oh, right. We distill our memories to what's helpful, you know. A lot of times, you know, we got to keep going. And so my shorthand for Little Plastic Castle was, oh, big successful album and people loved it and one of the more popular and oh yay yay for that record and when i sat down to write my little statement it all kind of came back Mm. like oh and it also was real hard it was a hard moment you know and it's an album pretty much about being famous kind of suddenly jumping you know a few levels of public property dumb
1: That was Ani DeFranco, and this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. And welcome, everyone, to another edition of Shiro's and Queero's, our Pride Month celebration. This is our finale episode of the series, and it's a special one. A sweet bookend to where we began a few weeks ago with Tegan and Sarah, who, like countless others, credit Ani DeFranco for helping them on their journeys of coming out and becoming openly queer musicians. You may recall that last year I brought Tegan and Sarah in conversation with their Shiro to discuss Ani's breakout 1997, live album, Living in Clip, for its 25th anniversary. And this year, Ani marks a quarter century since the follow-up studio album, Little Plastic Castle, was released, her eighth studio recording, and largely considered to be a pinnacle moment in Ani's career, which garnered her her third Grammy nomination, her highest charting album, and continued the international media attention that had begun to build with the release of 1997's Dilate. The magazine cover stories, TV appearances, and playing to bigger and bigger audiences all seemed to indicate that this was a moment to be celebrated. But success, especially in traditional capitalist terms, ain't all it's cracked up to be, particularly for a politically outspoken queer woman who intentionally avoided music industry trappings and started her own label in 1990, Righteous Babe Records, so that she could do her art, on her own terms. On today's show, we talk in depth about the complexities of that time, the lessons learned, and the experience of looking back at her trailblazing career so far. As we welcome back Annie DeFranco as our Shiro in the spotlight and celebrate 25 years of Little Plastic Castle. Annie DeFranco, welcome to Shiro's. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure, Carmel. Thank you for having me. Happy anniversary on Little Plastic Castle. Thank you, love. Happy <laughs> anniversary to you, too. <laughs> it feels like a mutual anniversary, actually. Uh, I, and I know I'm not alone in saying that. Now we've had at least two big ones in the past year. How lucky are we to celebrate Ani DeFranco song babies two years in a row?
0: Right. Living in Clip and now Little Plaza Castle. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Shucks. Yeah, it's really has been like kind of romantic for me to, you know, check in with my people that I've been journeying with all these years on the occasion of these anniversaries and, you know, just feel each other.
1: And the other thing that's so beautiful about this, too, is I feel like we're having a real 90s renaissance among the young kids. And so I would think that this would also be an awesome moment for them to maybe even discover you for the first time.
0: Maybe. I was talking to my 16-year-old yesterday on the phone. She's actually in Montreal right now on a class trip. And she went out of her way to say, hey, you want to say hi to my mom? To her friends. And one of her friends said, hello, Ani DeFranco." The whole thing just struck me like, oh, I exist (laughs) for a moment to my teenager and her friend. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's the little 90s revival blip. I have a little cred. Oh, my God. You totally
1: have cred. It's wild, too. Speaking of the 25th anniversary of Living in Clip, the last time you and I spoke, we had Tegan and Sarah together with you and feeling that fandom from them and figuring out, like, if we were to draw the fandom. Family Tree or the Venn Diagram, starting with you and then coming down to Tegan and Sarah and then Tegan and Sarah, how they've influenced so many, especially queer young women like Mm. Julian Baker or Snail Mail or I mean, the Mm. list goes on of women Mm. that I've talked to who name check Tegan and Sarah. And then that leads to talking about Ani DeFranco. It really makes my heart Mm. explode. It's
0: beautiful. Yeah, I think so, too. I remember when I was in Feminism 101 at the New School for Social Research in New York, you know, I was like two years old. And <laughs> um, and I remember learning about the feminist continuum that women birth each other into being. And this has been happening for many generations and, you know, pulling each other up, you know, and every generation we get one more leg up to being <laughs> able to be free and fully realized human beings. And it's a very powerful thing, I think. And thinking back to Feminism 101 and being a part of that feminist continuum, as they call it. I regret not name checking some of the women who birthed me, you know, along the way on my records. Like on my very first recording, I've made a song called The Lost Woman Song. Mm. It was unlocked in me from this poem called The Lost Baby Poem written by this poet Lucille Clifton, who's also from Buffalo, where I'm from. And she was an African-American poet, feminist, philosopher, writer, just amazing academic and spirit. She's passed now, but I should have written on that album, but I'm trying to make good now with you. Thanks to Lucille Clifton, you know, for this piece. You know, there was another long poem piece that I released on a record once that quoted Audre Lorde, and I didn't think till the album was out, oh, I should have name-checked Audre Lorde, another great feminist writer who wrote so many books that changed my mind, that opened my eyes. So those are two of that really powerful sort of second wave feminist era. A lot of those thinkers and writers taught me who I am. You know, Um, I grew up like a lot of young women feeling very square peg round hole like, is it me? (laughs) I don't get it. None of this feels right. I don't uh, understand why, you know, and these women help me understand why.
1: So what things about doing your job as a musician, if you can put it in that frame, what things feel like they've progressed and what things feel like they might still be stuck.
0: That is why I started with Lucille, because the lost baby poem, <laughs> what has not progressed enough? Reproductive freedom. Yeah. Anyone? I mean, she was writing a poem about having an illegal back alley abortion and surviving and all of the feeling of loss and grief and terror and shame that accompanied it, that experience. and. You know, when I had an abortion at 18 and wrote the Lost Woman song, I couldn't write about it until I read her poem. And then it lifted me out of my shame just enough that I could speak. And, um, yeah, you know, you look around, it's, I mean, it's 30 years later or so, and a lot of young women are in the same circumstance They cannot legally obtain an abortion and or they can't psychologically. It's so hard to endure the shame, the shaming and the judgment and all of that that accompanies reproductive freedom still, even when it's accessible. So, yeah, I guess that's one thing that comes to mind for sure, where it feels like, whoa, we just keep hitting you know, we can't get to square one. I was going to say square one. We just can't get to square one. Yeah. And I think so much of not just the circumstance of women and our lives, but the circumstance of humanity, I think is really held back and will be for as long as reproductive freedom is not real. It's a strange relationship, but I really do think that world peace (laughs) is predicated on reproductive freedom. You know, you have to kind of go back to the beginning and approach patriarchy before you can heal all our social diseases that stem from patriarchal culture. So you got to get women free and then they can get at the design table and then you have a whole other design, you know, not that women are better or more. It's that humans are only whole when all genders and sensibilities are interacting.
1: Amen to that. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about this in the context of your career and how you've just always been so articulate and outspoken and fighting for all of these things. I think about, you know, that famous black and white photo of like the old woman with the sign. I can't believe I'm still having to protest this shit or whatever it says. (laughs) I feel that way. I just can't believe it. I can't believe Mm -hmm. we're still talking about this stuff. And it makes your music feel so in some ways, sadly, so current still, you know, like Mm. all of the stuff that you wrote about back then, we all still need it so much.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, my song about gun control and regulation about, you know, just this insanity that that I wrote in 1993 or, you know, it's just to pull that out live now is just, it's just crushing the image of that feminist with the sign from way back when. Reminded me of a picture I have on my fridge of my fellow traveler and compadre, Utah Phillips. He's a folk singer storyteller that I worked with. He's also passed. But uh, I have a picture of him on my fridge and he's holding a sign that says, I'm already against the next war. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's good. Just enough. Yeah. Enough. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we're here to celebrate Little Plastic Castle.
0: Maybe we should play some music here. Okay, that's an idea. Where should we start today? I mean, I guess we could start with the title track. Okay, so we have a remix
1: now. This is something that's Yes, let's start there. Should we tell people what we're about to
0: hear? Yeah, let's do. It's a remix by Meryl Garbus of Toon Yards. And I met Meryl only once so far in the flesh. We were both opening for David Byrne, which was such a thrill. Geez, I guess that's pre-pandemic now, so who knows, three or 30 years ago, I don't know. <laughs> and it was just such a great evening of music and um, we played together and it was really fun. And then, you know, when the idea of making a remix came up, you know, I just thought of her and I'm just so honored. That she went for it. And I love this remix so much. She was like, Oh, I don't know. What do I do? I'm afraid. And I remember saying to her before she even embarked, I was like, You know, I have a feeling that whatever you do is going to be my favorite version of the song. And sure enough, it definitely is. And
2: from the shape of your shaved head, I recognized your silhouette as you walked out of the.
0: The two girls from out
2: of town And I said look at you this morning You are by far the cutest But be careful, getting coffee I think these people wanna shoot us Or maybe there's some kind of local competition here To see who can be the road People talk about my image like I come into dimensions, like lipstick is a sign of my declining mind, like what I happen to be wearing the day that someone takes a picture is my new statement for all of womankind. wish they could see us now in leather bras and rubber shorts like some ridiculous new team uniform for some ridiculous new sport quick show call the girl police
0: fight Oh, good, you played it up to that part. That's I, had my to. part. I had to, I had to fly all over a board. <report. laughs> <laughs> First of
1: all, you can't talk about this record without talking about the title track for a thousand reasons. But that one verse that says so much about where you were at at this time,
0: mm, yeah, a lot of judgments, a lot, of, lot judgments. of judgments coming my way, yeah. And you, you know, know, we're airing
1: this during Pride Month. And I'm so happy to say that this episode is our grand finale for the month. We've been going as sheroes and queeros all month long.
0: Yeah, I love it. And um,
1: I'd be hard pressed to think of another artist who opened as many doors and made the queer community feel as seen as you Mm. have. And yet at this moment in time, you know, people might not remember or if they weren't there,
0: you were going through it. Right, right. And there's another subject that, boy, are we still going through it, huh? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely a thing to just, okay, so if I write about falling in love, having affairs, having relationships with girls as well as boys, then I shall have the word bisexual descend upon me. And actually, it was like this word that appeared before my name everywhere it was printed for decades. Bisexual singer DeFranco, blah, 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 you know, had coffee this morning. So it's, yeah, it was a whole thing to take on. And I remember just deciding on some level to just go for it. Like, we've got to take this on. And I certainly Relate to not wanting to be reduced to that, not wanting to carry that around like some big neon sign everywhere you go. Oh, yeah. And by the way, uh, don't forget to label me no matter what. You know, but I know that that's just a process of pushing your way in to a society and finding ultimately inclusion where people don't have to yeah. label you before they even address you just because you're not straight and narrow or Barbie or Ken or whatever the boxes have traditionally been. And people are still hard at that work, but slowly the queer continuum, like the feminist continuum, you know, continues to flow and we pull each other along.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting too, because in talking to so many women, there's that annoying phrase, too, of woman in music, female singer-songwriter. Our gender and our sexuality seem to always be hanging around. (laughs) But at the same time, it's so important to shout it out and to Mm -hmm. wear it proudly because we are still marginalized in both ways.
0: Yeah. I mean, when it's not just men talking or just white people talking or just straight people talking those labels will disappear yes you know yeah they're designating the other you know but when it's when the chorus is in full effect you know and anybody could be talking and defining the music and inventing the culture and writing the history then we'll know when those labels, dissipate
1: yeah well where are you at now with the whole being associated with lesbian culture queer culture now that you've had some time and space away from the moment where you fell in love with a man you got married you had kids you know and there was a whole contingency of the queer community that was like felt betrayed by that where are you at with that now
0: yeah, it's funny. I, you know, when the Little Plastic Castle reissue was coming into being, my friend Jana, who does my social media for me, really, <laughs> I, I sort of look sideways at Instagram now and then, but she really lives in that world for me, bless her heart. And so she said, Hey, you got to write something. Try to put yourself back there and remember who was that person and what was that moment about, you know, so I said, okay, Little Plastic Castle, oh, right. We distill our memories to what's helpful, you know, a lot of times, you know, we got to keep going. And so I, my shorthand for Little Plastic Castle was, oh, big, successful album, and people loved it, and one of the more popular, and oh, yay, yay for that record. And when I sat down to write my little statement, it all kind of came back, like, mm. oh, and it also was real hard. It was a hard moment. That was very much, you know, and it's an album pretty much about being famous, kind of suddenly jumping, you know, a few levels of public property and all that came with that. And one of the things, you know, I remember... I had just sort of gotten together with my fellow goat and we were in love when we made that record and we got married like right then. And I was asked every day by somebody in the media, what is it like to, you know, have this backlash and this outrage at your hetero relationship? And I said for years and years and years, what? Huh? I don't know. I don't know. It's fun everybody's really nice. No, it's just a whole media story. It's media feeding on media. And in a sense, that was true. But uh, 25 years later, when I put myself back there, I guess I realized that I'm a little safer now and I'm ready to look at, okay, it wasn't all fine. It really hurt there. Yeah. It was interesting to me that I let myself feel it finally. yeah, you know, the sort of the element of trauma in that that a lot of my queer fans, my dyke fans got real mad at me, said, You know, nasty stuff. And, yeah, there was this idea that I had betrayed <laughs> an audience by falling in love with a person, you know, and being happy with a person of the wrong gender, which is so ironic, you know, isn't it? And um, you know, I mean, it just shows what happens to people when they're marginalized, when they're pushed down, when they're pushed away, when their existence is denied. It's a very tenuous place to live and to be. And if you find something, some drop of affirmation in your culture, you cling to it and you need it really bad because you just don't have what you need in terms of affirmation and Feeling like you truly exist and that's really okay. So that's where we were at, you know, and um, that was the position I was in at the time. So it was, it was a thing. And now looking back, I mean, at least I feel like whew, we've come a ways. You know, yeah, there are many places and certainly with the, you know, each of us has the world in our pocket now. And so we can find each other so much easier That's <laughs> than true. we could in the mid 90s. And um, that helps us to know we're not alone. So it's getting better in a lot of ways, but also, you know, we're not there yet, of course
1: thank you for sharing that and for being open and being vulnerable in that way to talk about that. And I think it's a really important, I hate to use this language, but like it's a teachable moment. I even remember when we were talking with Tegan and Sarah and they were talking about, they saw so much of themselves in you. First of all, just that they weren't even out when they discovered your music when they were in high school. And Mm. it helped them come out. It helped Mm. them feel seen, Mm -hmm. right? And when they were, on their path in their career, they looked at that moment of living in Clip going into Little Plastic Castle. I think the words they used was a big swing. Like you took a big swing and you hit a homer. (laughs) And they did the same thing with an album that they put out called Heartthrob. And their big mission was there isn't any openly queer women on the radio. So we need to make that happen that's why they did it. They were very intentional about it. Mm. And you were the one that opened that door for them. The point I'm about to make, though, is that it's easy to idealize that moment and put it into that certain kind of a frame. And I think it's really important to be very honest about what was really going on and what was going on for you. You're the source of all this. So, yeah, yeah, I
0: I totally hear you, and I agree. It looks like glory in the yeah. rearview mirror, but it was a lot of pain and suffering. And that's a it's an important thing to know when you're doing the work. You know, for young people, it's like you're gonna step into the arena, you're gonna get hit. Yes, you're gonna get hit, but it's okay. You just get back up. You just get back up, and that's that's how you get the belt. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so yes, just know that. It was like that for all the people before you.
1: Ani DeFranco here with us on Shiro's. We're celebrating Little Plastic Castle, the 25th anniversary. Let's play something else from the album. What, okay. would you, what would you like to hear? Is there anything that pops into your head in this moment of the
0: conversation? Maybe Swan Dive. Swan Dive is very much a song about, you know, man, people are coming at me from the big, wide world, but I have you, so it's going to be okay.
2: I've had a loss of perspective. I've had a little bit to drink. And it's making me think that I can jump, ship, and swim. That the ocean will hold me. But there's time to be more than this boy.
1: Take us back to the moment when you released Little Plastic Castle and you started to realize this is blowing
0: up. Was the reaction immediate? I mean, to me, it didn't feel like a moment so much as a process, Mm. I guess. You know, because I was sort of always on tour for decades and decades and albums would come out along the way, you know, so... There was that time of living in Clip and Little Plastic Castle and where was Dilate in there? And it felt like every year was this exponential growth, you know? So every time I showed up to the same town, there was twice as many people, and that was just happening for a while, and that album just sort of signified it. It was just like looking at all of that happening, you know? But for me, I mean, I had been out there... Going to that town every year for many years, you know, so I experienced it very much as a process. And it was a process that worked really remarkably in a sort of a word of mouth kind of street level way until around the time of Little Plastic Castle. And then suddenly the magazines and the media showed up and there was overnight sensation kind of vibe. But I had been there the whole time.
1: (laughs) This was your ninth album, your eighth studio record, I think. Right. Crazy. And Righteous Babe started in 90? 90. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was my best friend in 1990 who was helping me out. And then it was my other best friend. And then it was sort of every year that office would grow exponentially. And there was just so many more things that we had to learn how to do. Right. <laughs> pretend to know how to do. Right. So what a weird,
1: like, I mean, to just say it, what a mind to have this moment that you're achieving, I'm going to put this in air quotes, success, the biggest pinnacle of success. It sucks. <laughs> and you're also in this moment where you're out of step with some of your fan base who helped you get there like whoa you just yeah. i it's it's hard to imagine how you managed all of that and then you're also on cloud 9 because you're in love
0: yeah a lot it's it's a lot to be young mm-hmm. and becoming yourself yeah in the world i think for any of us there's so much to confront there's so much to stand up to yeah. and there's so much to do. There's so much yet to achieve, you know? Right. Yeah. Holy cow. Would I want to go back there? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. That was exciting, but that was a lot. Yeah. And I think not long after I started to recoil, you know, uh, I'm not even sure what I'm saying there, but just... Try to thwart it all in many ways, you know, with the music I started producing after that and the directions I was going. And it was a little too much, you know?
1: Yeah. In getting ready to talk to you today, I revisited a couple of chapters of your memoir, which, by the Mm -hmm. way, for listeners, if you missed this, Ani put out this beautiful book. It's amazing No Walls in the Recurring Dream. And You talk pretty candidly in the book about that time. And it really struck me on the second read through how hard it is to be somebody that wants to do the right thing in a capitalist, patriarchal society and our definitions of success and how you navigate that, you know, because it's like on the one hand, back to the big swing right? It's like the commercial success, the attention from the mainstream. Ani DeFranco on the cover of Spin Magazine. Like that helps. Representation matters so much. And it's like you put yourself out there on the firing line for the rest of us, you know, which I appreciate. And I want to express gratitude personally for. And so many of us owe you an enormous debt for that. It's not so easy. It's not so easy to stand up for what's right. And it's tricky to navigate how to be successful and stick to your moral compass.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. I mean, I think at the time of Little Plastic Castle, not only was my queer audience saying, Oh, you betrayed us by going with a dude. It was, you know, I was an anti capitalist, exactly. anti corporate punk. Yeah. And so my fellows were like, Sell out. Oh, see, you're just a commercial sellout now because the album was sort of better produced. <laughs> you know, it sounded a little better because I was getting a little better at doing that. And Goat, my partner, was bringing a lot to the table. And So, yeah, on that level, you know, and I'm somebody who didn't want to sell T-shirts, thought, you know, I'm not a traveling sales man, you know, I'm an artist, you know, I'm an artiste and that's beneath me. And it just feels icky. It just feels icky. You know, in the early days, the person who was managing me was like, just say that you have tapes for sale, you know, from the stage, just say it. And I was like, "Eh, I can't, I can't. I needed to stay focused and and pure in my intent or just know that, like you said, I I had my compass and I was pointed in the right way for me. And I can remember that excruciating moment that came, I think, I think it was around the time of the um, Not a Pretty Girl record when it was, you know, an ultimatum of you have to sell a T-shirt to get a sound engineer. If you want to afford a sound engineer to travel with, which will make your life much easier and you need help, you need a crew person to survive any longer and you're going to need to sell something. And that felt icky, but I did it, you know, and so flash forward a couple of years and I'm being charged with being a commercial sellout now, you know, and that just that also felt really bad, you know, but I think I guess I'm quick to criticize myself. I have a hard time sticking up for myself inside. And so I look at my life now as a series of setups (laughs) (laughs) where I, I set myself up to be called all kinds of names so that I could learn that you have to tell yourself you're okay. If you're waiting for somebody else to affirm who you are and what you're doing and say you're cool and say you're doing it right you're headed for a fall. So I've been all of these things that I've been charged with, the criticisms that come like you know I imagine just for any public person, you know you're gonna have fingers pointed at you, you're gonna be criticized. So learning how to be okay with yourself and hold yourself up when nobody else is there to do it, you know that's something I've been, on a journey of learning, you know? And so these are the moments when it's like, now or never, sweetheart.
1: <laughs> yeah. And a 25th anniversary, it's one of those moments, right? Mm-hmm. As much as we might not want to, I know lots of artists are like, anniversary, what? And they don't like listening back to old, so I think you're like that too, right? Like you don't yeah. even like to listen back to old music. So thank you for indulging us today doing that. Uh,
0: thank you. <laughs> so.
1: As far as the process of revisiting this album and celebrating the 25th Mm. anniversary, which is a complicated thing as we've been going through here, you also laid bare some tracks that we didn't get to hear the first time around. Talk to us about that decision and let's listen to one of the bed tracks.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. There's three bed tracks that we included on the reissue. And it's the recordings of three of the songs. You know, I was in the habit at the time of, you know, I've made so many records now and done it every which way that you can. Live, straight up live, you know, piece by piece, overdubbing, extravaganza, you know, um, everyone in a room, everyone in their own little cubby in 2 days over the course of 2 years there's so many ways to make records and um at that moment of little plastic castle i was really beating my head against the task of recording a vocal and an acoustic guitar at the same time it's hard it's hard i've been doing it now for 30 years and it's still hard because you have Two microphones in close proximity, and as you know, because you know your tech, it's phase issues, you know. The guitar mic's going to pick up the voice, and the voice mic is going to pick up the guitar, and that will make them not sound good. You know, my ear is now attuned to the sound of phase issues, you know, like, uh, I can hear there's phasiness between microphones, but for a normal person, it's just, I feel Bad in my tummy. (laughs) I don't know why. Turn that off. And so I was solving the problem at the time by we'd take the song live in the studio and then I'd go replace the guitar without singing and then I'd go sing without playing so that I could have a better sound on both of those elements. But you lose something. You gain a cleaner sound, a more isolated sound. You can manipulate the vocal without bothering the guitar and vice versa. But you've lost something of the moment that it all went down in, you know? So when I went back, I was actually transferring these master tapes of that record to hard drive, you know, because they're on all these bygone formats that are melting in a warehouse. So... Um, I was going through the process of digitizing them and that was crazy times. Like sitting there in the room with yourself 25 years ago, yourself and your friends, your fellow musicians, and not just hearing the takes go down one after another, but the banter in between, you know, you really put back, you know, it's like recording yourself for an afternoon and then sitting down 25 years later to listen to the conversations Whoa. and feel where everybody was at. It was very surreal and hilarious, <laughs> totally hilarious. And there was one day that I recorded As Is Two Little Girls and Gravel with Sarah Lee and Jerry Marotta, two just amazing musicians who are on that record. And Jerry was coming in pretty darn cold Sarah had brought him in. Andy Stochansky and Jason Mercer are the drummer and bass player on much of the record. But for those three songs, I recorded with Sarah and Jerry, trying something new. And so, you know, Jerry was learning the songs in the studio, you know, coming up with parts. And I encountered the bed tracks for those three songs with the original vocal, the original guitar. And You know, there are imperfections, yes, but there was an energy there that, you know, if you're me, you have to wonder, you have to second guess everything because that's part of the gig. (laughs) You know, did something get lost when Mm. I redid that vocal? Did something get lost, you know, in the overdubbing? So anyway, I just thought maybe that was a thing to share, those original recordings. So I guess maybe we're going to play Two Little Girls me and Sarah and Jerry in that room in Texas that day. Do you want
1: to tell us anything about the song for those that don't know about this song?
0: This is a song about one of my girlfriends when I was young. So I think it's one that has been queer anthemized over the course of its life. And it's a song about a dear, dear one who was very self-destructive and feeling... Powerless, watching a friend self-destruct. I would like to say in postscript that she is great now okay. and really leading a great life with a beautiful family and a beautiful wife. So, so there.
2: You were Ooh. fresh off the boat from Virginia. I had a year in New York City under my belt. We met in a dream both 19. I remember where we Little girls growing out of their training crops This little girl breaks furniture This little girl breaks love i
0: Remember Jerry, before he showed up that day, he said, can you get five snare drums and five sweatshirts and have them there for, I was like, okay. And he was into this thing where he would just have a bunch of detuned drums with shirts over them so that they were all thuppy and cool, cool sound. That was his jam at the time. And so he brought it to those songs. Love that drum vibe though the sound is incredible. And Sarah
1: Lee's playing is just so good. She's so good. Forget about it.
0: I know. She's just amazing. She's so melodic. And so, I mean, her bass lines, they just made the songs. They were just so great.
1: And she toured with you. She was on the Living and Clip tour. And did she tour with you for
0: Little Plastic Castle as well? I mean, not much. Mm-hmm. We we really only toured together for a year, or maybe a year and change. Yeah. Um, and just recently, ah, oh gosh, like a year ago, we were gonna get together and do a show again. I I was playing at this festival down here in New Orleans, and but it was still pretty throes of COVID and. I actually got COVID a few weeks before the festival or, you know, I had just enough time to test negative and play it, but it, it didn't, it looked dicey, so she didn't come, but someday we're going to have our reunion. There's going to be a lot of hugging. Oh my God. And a lot of rocking out. But yeah, Sarah, man, I mean, she's, she's older than I, and you know, she comes from an era where... That was just not, it was just not a thing, you know? You could probably count the female bass players out there making a living on one hand, you know? Um, it's really cool to see her these days playing with Gang of Four again. Yes. They've reunited, and I think she is currently they're recording, making a record after all these years. So, you know, a band that she played with, you know, long before me, even
1: which is so amazing and also just great to hear of women having longer careers. Mm -hmm. I just really wanna say out loud that I'm so happy that you are touring and active. And even though we're looking back today at the 25th anniversary of Little Plastic Castle, everything that you've learned over the years, all the music that you've made, and then now there's all the new music that's coming. We're going back in time, but we're hearing the source of what's Uh, present for you now. And it's so exciting to think about. Thanks for that, Carmel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The adventure continues. And those bed tracks were mixed by Chad Blake, who is just this amazing mixer, producer, studio wizard. And I've been a fan of his for decades and decades. And he mixed my last two records, Binary and Revolutionary Love, and bringing him into my sphere and working with him has been a great boost of excitement for me. You know, it's awesome to have learned so much along the way and had my hands on the gear for so many records, like Little Plastic Castle. But at this point in my life, it's really awesome to sit down, too, and go, you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, never would have thought of that. You know, it's really something. And in fact, I'm working on a record right now that I have brought in a producer and I feel like it's a whole other level of collaboration that I'm embarking on that is really different from the 22 records up till now. It's really going to be different. And we're in this really bizarre process where I just record the songs, pretty much just voice and guitar. Sometimes I also overdub some other things, and I send them, and he turns them into these universes. He takes it all from the voice or the guitar or the couple little overdubs I did, and he creates spheres and galaxies out of them with his in his spaceship. I don't know. <laughs> Can you reveal who this person is? <laughs> his name is BJ Burton. Oh yeah, sure. Oh, I kn- cool. I, I know Yeah, of him. you know his yeah, work. through the Bon Iver universe. Bonnie Iver yeah. and Lowe and I don't know. He, I don't know what all he does. He makes a lot of records with a lot of different people And I, you know, I sort of had this man. Let me change it up. Let me call somebody new and collaborate in some way. And so my team helped me put together a list of producers that they thought, you know, because I sort of described where I felt like I wanted to go with this new record. And his name was the top of the list. And. You know, there was like a list of 20 names and some of their credits. And I just saw, you know, 22 a million or what, a couple of bony Iver records. And I was like, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> First guy on the list. I want to call him. Oh, I'm so glad. Didn't even he's... read the rest of the list. Yeah. That's... Called him up and and he was like, send me something. And it, we were off. And I'm so excited. It's going to be really different in my lineage I am so excited to hear it. I can't wait. Any idea
1: when we might be getting it or still probably early Not days. really. Okay. Not right. really. It's still
0: percolating.
1: It's kind of trippy and mind-blowing to think about where you've been and where you're headed. Is there anything where you could connect a thread maybe from Little Plastic Castle to where you are? Is something in this process of writing your memoir and even the children's book that you just put mm. out and mm. and looking back at Living in Clip and Little Plastic Castle that may have somehow found its way into this new work that you're doing? Anything that you reconnected mm. with?
0: Mm. Well, I mean, the song As Is comes to mind and it's more maybe a thread that's emotional or uh, mm. personal. It's a song about, tolerance and forgiveness about accepting people and therefore yourself, you know, I mean, it starts off, you can't hide behind social graces. So don't try to, you know, you lie in my face of all places. We all have our moments, you know, when we're less than our highest self and just that we all do. We all do, you know, so I'm not going to kick you off the planet for it. And and I hope you don't do me, you know, and I feel like that kind of idea has wrapped around in a big way for me now, especially in the culture that we live in now where we're just all so ready to kick each other off the planet, you know, mm-hmm. for making mistakes. So I don't know, just a song about it's okay to make mistakes. And I still love you. You know, really kind of resonates with me now and a lot of the things I'm thinking about and writing about now.
2: You can't hide behind social graces So don't try to be all touchy-feely Cause you lie in my face of all places But I got no problem with that really what bugs me is that you believe what you're saying what bothers me is that you don't know how you feel what scares me is that while you're telling me stories you actually believe that they Guess what, I never did, when I said, when I said I'll take it, I meant, I meant as
1: in Ani, thank you for taking this journey with me. Oh man, thank you. In closing, I would love to do something that I always do now at the end of my Shiro's interviews which is to pass you the magic wand. So Ani DeFranco, I give you the Shiro's magic wand. With it, you have the power to change anything in music for women and gender non-conforming people. What would you change?
0: Whoa. I know.
1: Whoa. I've been told it's a heavy wand. I know that you can yeah, handle it though. Yeah, right. First thing that pops into your mind, I know the list is probably long,
0: you know what I would change? Because it would just fill me with glee, and it's it would be completely wrong and, and oppressive, and I don't care. It, I would just take everybody's gear away. I would just take <laughs> it all away. I would take the auto tune away. I would take all the bells and the whistles, and I'd put them in a locked box, and I want everybody naked. I want everybody naked together around one campfire and I want us just all to be our genuine natural selves
1: oh that's beautiful
0: and then I'll unlock the box and we can go back to making fantastic sounds happen but just want to be real and safe with everybody around the one fire
1: Ani DeFranco happy anniversary for
0: Little Plastic Castle and thank
1: you again for being with us
0: oh what a pleasure to talk to you thank you I mean,
2: yeah.
1: Many thanks once again to Annie DeFranco for joining us for this very special celebration of Little Plastic Castle's 25th anniversary brought to you by Righteous Babe Records and our finale episode of She Rose and Queeros, our month-long pride celebration. The 25th anniversary edition of Little Plastic Castle is out now. Find out more at RighteousBabe.com or AniDeFranco.com. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a national Syndicated radio show. You can visit Shiros Radio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiro Shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.